Bibles to Romans chapter number 8. And uh, I want us to look at the first four verses. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Father, I thank you that we can come and stand before you. and know there's no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. I I just pray that uh, you'd speak to the hearts of your people now. That you would move us and stir us. And if there's anyone here who hasn't put their trust in you, that today they would. That they know the peace of no condemnation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of our attempts to live for God out of our own energy, out of our own effort, out of our own resources, is going to leave us at the place where Paul in Romans 7 cried out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Now, that's a pretty sad state to be in if that's the end of the story. But Paul said, but I thank my God. (laughs) You know, he said, you refer back, I thank God my deliverer. And then he begins chapter 8 with these most incredible words there are to hear. There is therefore no condemnation. We live in a world that's full of condemnation, right? I mean, you guys are all looking at me like, like, like a calf looking at a new gate, you know, just like, what is he doing up there? I don't know. But if you, if you smile at me, I'll go faster. <laughs> if you laugh at my jokes, I'll go really fast. Do you feel any condemnation in life? I mean, doesn't it just come to you? I mean, because life throws these curveballs at you and difficulties, and we live in a difficult economic time, and there's trouble all around us, and, and when we get a good look at ourselves, our failures are pretty astonishing. How can it be that those of us that the scripture tells us are sinners have come and have have no righteousness of our own? How is it that we who are guilty could be free from condemnation? Yesterday I was uh, doing some ministry in Corcoran State Prison. And it's an amazing thing that our prison systems are, are full of people who are not guilty. The reality is, is we're all guilty. The reality the scripture lays out for us is that every single one of us has the guilt of sin. Both the guilt that we inherited because we were born sinners and because of our own multitude of sins. And the law and sin have produced guilt, condemnation and death. And yet there is this glorious transformation that takes place. In Paul's words, he says, now, no condemnation. There's a Greek word here for ouketi meaning no. Now you think, well, just that's a long word for no, but it's much more than just a negative. It is an emphatic negative adverb of time, and it carries the, the idea of complete cessation. He's saying, listen, there is no 
condemnation. And there will be no condemnation for now through eternity. Now, how, how many times have you heard someone talk about, well, when you get to the pearly gates and St. Peter's there, and uh, he asks why he should let you in, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen like that. I have some reservations. But, you know, we've all heard it, right? And you say, what are you going to say? And, and uh, I mean, what are you going to say? How are you going to approach it? Are you ready? Um, when we're all guilty. But here's what it's going to say. Here's what it is for us. No condemnation. And the reason there's no condemnation is because Jesus took our condemnation. You see, the beautiful story of the gospel is that when we were at our worst, when we were guilty, Christ intervened on our behalf. And you say, well, why would he do that? Because of his immeasurable Love for us. What the Ephesians says, because he's rich in mercies. He came at the point of our need and he delivered us. He took our condemnation. He suffered the wrath of God so that he could set us free. So that he could declare us those without condemnation. And so no condemnation means that God is not angry with us when we struggle in our lives. I saw a bumper sticker recently, and I, I, I love bumper stickers because most of them are pretty goofy, you know. It said that Jesus is coming back and he's really angry, but they used a different word. But here's the beauty of it. He's not angry. If your idea of that God is somehow an angry God and he's waiting to take out his vengeance on you and every time you mess up, he's ready to slap you upside the head with the bat, you, you have a distorted view of God. For if you're in Jesus Christ this morning, he pushed all of the wrath, all of his wrath, he poured out on his son. God put all of our punishment, your punishment, on the son. God never intended to make us the subjects of his wrath. That's why his son paid such a horrible price. We make make mistakes. I'm not saying that we don't fail. I'm not saying that we don't sin. But Jesus paid the price of sin so that sin would never lend be the issue. Do you realize that grace is never going to be essential or critical to us until we realize our own brokenness? The message of the gospel is that salvation comes to us by grace through faith. That that grace is unmerited favor. That the only way we can stand before God and there be no condemnation is if we receive this beautiful gift of God's grace. But I think that that sometimes we don't want to see ourselves in all of our brokenness. And so the grace of God is not so meaningful to us. We don't consider ourselves to be great sinners desperately in need of forgiveness. We don't give weight to what Paul says because we've never allowed the full weight of our failures and all of the guilt and condemnation that comes with it. It is a religious pride that, that, that turns the unbelieving world away from the church. And Jesus wants to bring us to the place where when we see in and of ourselves, all we are are broken. But God does a beautiful thing because he takes the broken pieces and he makes a beautiful mosaic in his church. But it's brokenness that God uses. 
Freedom from condemnation is, and guilt is ours now. Both the sentence and the execution of the sentence. Condemnation is a forensic term, meaning he took, it, he took our, our guilt, our condemnation, and he put it on his son. We stood condemned by God. Listen, you might be thinking, well, I'm here this morning, but I'm a pretty good person. But the reality is, you're not a pretty good person. You say, you don't even know me. I don't have to know you. All of us, the scripture says, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are going to go to heaven and, and uh, meet Peter and say, well, I should come in because I was a pretty good person. Because the scripture says that even the smallest sin deserves the punishment of death. You say, yeah, but my sins are a lot less than that person's. Do you know that's the amazing thing about heaven? Is there's no comparisons? We might be sitting there going, well, you know, at least I'm better than so-and-so. But God never enters into that dialogue. Freedom from condemnation and guilt is yours now if you'll place your trust in Jesus. If you'll let him step in and take it upon himself so that there's nothing for you to bear. Take every single one of your failures, the weights that you carry on your shoulders And let Jesus take all of the weight, all of the guilt, all of the shame and put it upon himself. And because there is no condemnation, therefore there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask you this. Are you enjoying the fact that even though you're frail, that God looks at you and he says, righteous? free from condemnation because if you do you can have peace but let me ask you this if we're a people who are free from condemnation why do we do so much condemning do you ever just catch yourself condemning people you see it's the height of our hypocrisy isn't it since god says no condemnation why are we so ready to condemn There's no condemnation for us because of what God has done. It is a whole new way of life and we're free to live lives where we don't condemn others either. What are we saying about ourselves when God says no condemnation and we condemn others? We're saying that we're greater than God. We're saying that we know better than God. And if that's how you feel, you're strongly delusional. How little we have appropriated the gift of God. I mean, peace should flood your heart at the words, no condemnation. What are we saying when we spend so much time condemning others as though that we were the judge, as though that all people were going to stand before us for our analysis? And he says that to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's hard for us sometimes to understand that. I illustrated this at the uh, men's retreat, but I didn't bring my, my pen. But I have this money clip with no money in it. Does anybody have a money clip with no money in it? My wife gave me an allowance when I left and I spent it. There is therefore no condemnation. There's a frowned look when you get home with an empty money clip, but there's no condemnation. 
If I took my money clip and I stuck it in my Bible, I'd say that my money clip is in my Bible. Jesus is saying to you, he said, you are in Jesus Christ. Every one of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, you're in Christ Jesus. And so my money clip, I put it inside my Bible and I, I move my Bible over here to this other little lectern or whatever it is. And where did the money clip go? It went over there. It started here, but it went here because the Bible and I moved the Bible over to the chair and the Bible is here on the chair. But so is the money clip, the money clips in the Bible and whatever happens to the Bible happens to the money clip. And I bring the Bible back over here and I pull out the empty money clip and stick it back in my pocket to remember that I was a bad boy and spent all my money. What, what God wants you to understand, there is therefore no condemnation to you. Why? Because if you're in Christ Jesus, what happened to Jesus happened to you. So that when Jesus died, who died? That was a good question, and I appreciate that answer. Joseph, did you die? None of the rest of you? When Jesus was buried, who was buried? Say it, affirm it. This is a Baptist church. You're supposed to have some fun. You guys don't talk in church? Come on. Northerners, you know. Yankees. They don't have a good time in church. It's because they're all worried about getting out on time. Now, come on, talk with me. When Jesus died, who died? Amen. When Jesus was buried, who was buried? When Jesus rose again, who rose again? And when Jesus ascended into the heavens and the heavenly places now seated at the right hand of the Father, who's sitting there with him? We are. That's what he's saying. He's saying, how? You say, how could I be free from condemnation when I mess things up so regularly? Because it doesn't have anything to do with you anymore. It has everything to do with the perfect performance of the Son. Does my performance determine where I'm going? No. He says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We were born in Adam, but we're born again in Jesus Christ. When we put our trust in him, when we are, have our spirits brought to life, when we're born again and our sins are forgiven us, that heritage that we had in Adam is broken. And now we're in Christ so that what happened to Christ happens to us. So everyone here this morning, you're either in Adam or you're in Jesus Christ. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. Now, if I asked you this morning, I said, how, how, let me just do it. Since I said, what if I did? But I'll just do it. All right. How many of you are saints? How many sinners in here? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I'm really confused. I sit there and go, how many sinners in here? And you all raise your hands. And I ask you, how many saints? And about 60% of you. Got a little schizophrenia going on here. Oh God, I don't know what I am, a sinner or a saint. Why? Because we still think it all depends on us. Do you realize that when you came to Jesus, all you were was a sinner in need of a savior? But when you enter into Jesus Christ, is Jesus a sinner? Is he? No. So if you're in Jesus Christ and you have all that Jesus has, 
that you benefit from your relationship to him, you have a completely new future. Yes, you believe it, right? Because one day we're going to go to heaven. But don't you realize that you also have a brand new past? Because some of you are just going through life and you're lugging all of your failures along with you and say, well, at least I'm forgiven. But Jesus is saying, there is therefore no condemnation. Why? Because when you enter into Jesus Christ, he gives you a brand new future, but he also gives you a brand new past. He doesn't look at you as an Adam still. He said, you're in him. You have a brand new heritage. My, my one daughter, Megan, she got all into this thing about trying to find out, you know, the family heritage thing. You guys, any of you guys done this ancestry thing? I told her, don't do it. It ain't good. I mean, there's reasons there's gaps in the family history. You go back a couple generations, you know, I mean, I'm like, don't. We got criminals back there. We, you know, there's it's not good. Don't look, you know. The enemy wants you continually looking back. Every single person here I'm looking at, we're all a bunch of failures. In and of ourselves, we've all sinned, we've all failed. But you try and lug that failure around with you, thinking, oh, it makes me more pious. No, it makes you dead. He said, listen, you're in Christ. And in Christ, you have a brand new future where heaven is your home. But he said, I came to give you life now. And I took you out of Adam so I could liberate you from all of the garbage, all of the bondage that you carried for all of that time. Your link isn't to Adam. Your link isn't to you as a sinner. You're a saint. He said, yeah, but I sometimes sin. It's true, you do. But that can never again determine your identity. And he says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He says, he's making a statement of fact. Don't read it so much as a question, but as a statement of fact. We're no longer in the flesh. We no longer have to rely simply on our own resources. We can rely upon the indwelling life of God. We have the spirit of God living in us and we're called to live out of his indwelling life. If you're here this morning and you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're not alone. You don't have to do life alone. You don't have to do the best you can out of your own resources. He says, listen, I came to give you my life. And then look at the next phrase there for the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Law is used here, refers to the principle. He said, we're born under the law of sin. We all sin because we were born sinners. But another law came into effect that overrules the previous law, which is the law of the the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. There were two laws. One was the law of sin and death. But then Jesus brought into effect a new law or a superior law or one that overcomes, which is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, where are you living? How many of you know that there's a a law, the law of gravity? Right. We're all living here and it's all pulling our stomachs down. At least that's what I blame it on. I don't blame it on overeating. Just just uh, gravity. Gravity is pulling it all down. Now, a week from tomorrow, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly 9,000 miles. 
It's going to be a blast. (laughs) I'm going to get on that plane with uh, 363 of my closest friends. All Facebook friends. I don't know any of them. (laughs) Just kidding. Making fun of Facebook. And uh, it's just an American thing. It just bewilders me. I have 360 friends on Facebook. You don't have anyone who knows you or likes you, but you got 360 friends. Anyways, we're going to get out there. We're going to roll out on the tarmac. They're going to start those engines up. Those jet engines, that 747, all four engines are going to start twisting. That's going to create thrust. It's going to start rolling down the runway. And it's going to take off because there's a law called aerodynamics. When there's a certain amount of thrust, you got a certain wingspan. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know that it works every time I've done it. For over a million miles, I've flown. Aerodynamics works now. Did the law of gravity stop? No, because if those engines stop pumping, the law of gravity will then take over. And what he's saying to you and I, he said, listen, you who are in Christ, you have to live out of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because the other law is that law of sin and death. And if you live as though you were just a sinner living under the law, living in a rules based kind of relationship, you're going to have death. But the believer is called to live in a new kind of law, one that overcomes the law of sin. You see, you could live as a believer in sin and death your whole life and have a miserable existence, but Jesus is saying, wake up this morning because I have something far better for you. It's called life in the Spirit. Every one of us, he intends to experience the full expression of his life. Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death so that he could live his life through me. And Jesus came to free you from the law of sin and death so that you could live out of his life and experience victory in your life. Listen, we got to quit living just as though we're people who are happy with forgiveness. Now, is forgiveness good? That was a simple question. (laughs) Forgiveness is good, and do we all need it? Absolutely. But do you just want to live there or in a constant state of defeat? Trying, failing, getting forgiven, failing, and getting more forgiven? Or do you want to experience the victorious Christian life? The life that comes when Christ is able to live his life through us. And then he continues on. He says, for what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh. The law could forbid. The law can rebuke. The law can reprimand. The law can curse. The law can reveal sin for all of its exceeding sinfulness. But it can't do anything about it. But look what he said. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin. You can come in this morning a sinner. All bound up in death because of your sin. 
And you can leave this place completely transformed and liberated because God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh without sin, but having a physical human nature. So that you could be free. Jesus was completely man and yet without sin. He endured every temptation and he went to the cross so that he could take our guilt and our shame. You realize that God the Father valued you, the price of a son. I just thought of it, maybe I've shared it with you before, but I think it's worth repeating. How much are you worth? I mean, do you, are you one of those people that has a high self-esteem? I have four children, I have, and, and it's kind of funny how you can have four kids from the same gene pool, and they're all completely different. You're like, what happened? My oldest son, Ryan, he has a very high self-esteem. I mean, every time he's little, he's just confident. I was bewildered. I'd be like, how could a guy this little, young have so much confidence? He hasn't even done anything yet. But, you know, all the way through high school, college, just supremely confident, you know, and I'm just... Let me tell you. Now, I have another child that, that, that didn't have very much self-confidence. And I just said, well, why? But it struck me one day. How do you know what something's worth? How many of you have something that you think is pretty valuable? You got a truck. You know, guys in their trucks. Uh, let's just use the truck analogy because guys can get weird about their trucks. And and you can think, yeah, you know, this truck, this truck is worth $10,000. And they can explain to you why their truck is worth $10,000. And they can go into all kinds of detail. And they say, this truck is worth $10,000. How do you know it's worth $10,000? Because they said so? What do you think? Yep, I say No. I say, you don't know that truck is worth $10,000. It's all talk, and talk is cheap. The only way you know whether that truck is worth $10,000 if someone lays out $10,000. I have more money in my pocket. <laughs> ah, what the wife don't know, don't hurt her. You see, you only know what something's worth by what someone was willing to pay. Am I right? Can somebody give me a witness? Come on. Come on. Come on, people. This is pathetic. Am I right? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. That took two minutes right there. That's your time. That's, that's on you. That's not on me. So you can go through life and you can go through, you know, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. Yeah, you know, I got my act together. I'm pretty good. At least I'm above average. I'm not like all those other people. Or you can go through life carrying the weight of all your sin and all your shame and go, you know, I'm just a horrible worm. I'm just good. I can't believe it. I blew it. And here's the reality. Both views are wrong. High self-esteem, low self-esteem. Wrong. Because you don't know what you're worth until somebody's willing to pay. And here's the beauty of it. You, right where you are, with all of your sin, all of your failures, all of the the garbage, 
And you say, I'm not worth anything. But how do you know what you're worth? By what God was willing to pay. And your worth and value is established because God said you were worth a son. You say, me? Yeah, you. But I mean, me with all of my failures, all of my foibles, all of the things I'm messing up. He goes, the father valued you a son. And he took the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation upon himself on the cross. And he looks at you and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in him. He doesn't look at you as a failure. He doesn't look at you as a worthless worm. He looks at you as his beloved child in which he was valuing you the price of his only begotten son. No condemnation. He condemned sin in the flesh. He took it. He dealt with it. He didn't ignore it. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in lust. Jesus went to the cross so that he could satisfy all of the demands of a holy God and his justice. He didn't ignore sin, didn't turn his back on sin. He took the full punishment. He took all of our, our sin upon himself so that he could convey to us his righteousness that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So this morning, there's two groups of people in here. There's those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. There are sinners and there are saints. But God wants everyone to walk out of here a saint. If you're here this morning, you don't know for sure that if you died, that you'd go to heaven. If you don't know that your sins have completely forgiven, Jesus paid the price for your sin. He went to that cross so that he could take your sin upon himself. So that he could declare you free from condemnation. So it's not really what you think you're worth, high or low. It's what he was willing to pay. And I want to plead with you this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ, listen to his voice calling you. And say yes to Jesus. Because there's no way that you can pay the price. If you're a believer this morning and you've been carrying around all of the condemnation of your past failures, your present failures, your future worries... And you're carrying them all around and you're weighted down. And you say, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it through this? Listen to the voice of God. It's not my voice. I'm just a messenger. He says, no condemnation. You're free. And if you have a tendency to be condemning of others, repent. Because that's God's domain. And you're not God. Father, I thank you for the attentiveness of the folks.
I thank you that your word says that we're free from condemnation. It's an awesome thought. Wow. Because we know our sins and our weakness so well. Lord, work in the hearts of people. Draw people to yourself. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you have eternal life, you don't know for sure that you've been forgiven, if you still feel the weight of condemnation because you've not put your trust in Jesus Christ, would you pray this prayer with me this morning? You say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need a Savior. But I believe that you died for me to pay the price for my sin. And that you rose again so that you could declare me free from condemnation. Jesus, I put my trust in you. Save me. And if you prayed that prayer, In a moment, he saved you, and he cleansed you, and he freed you from sin. And he says, no condemnation. And if you're a believer, and you're constantly reminded about your failures, and you feel the weight of condemnation, it's the voice of the enemy. Lay the burden of all of your past failures, your present failures, your future failures. Lay them all at the cross. Live free in the Spirit. And if you're one of those who finds yourself condemning others, repent from it now. Leave the domain of God to God, for he's the only righteous judge. Father, stir in our hearts. For rebuke, we ask, rebuke us if we need it. For courage to trust you, we ask that your spirit would convict of sin and righteousness. And we declare a glorious hallelujah that you say no condemnation, that you've taken us, your children, out of the flesh and placed us in the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.